for October 14th, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 276. Captain Phillips, why is the man from Big crying in my bank account? Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From coastal uh, Southern California, home to the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach, two of the most important ports uh, for the merchant marine in the United States of America. I'm Matthew Rather, here with a panel to talk about Captain Phillips, um, starring Tom Hanks and based on the life of Richard Phillips, Merchant Mariner. Uh, this, uh, I'm really excited about this podcast, guys. So um, uh, let's jump right in. Panel, your, your question of the week, uh, what is your non-duress password? Uh, that is to say, in the event of pirate attack, what word will you say over the radio or over the intercom, over the loudspeakers, so that we know that the threat has been contained and you are no longer uh, under duress? First in the alphabet, he is a seasoned pirate hunter, and I'm not even joking about that. That is God's <laughs> truth. It's Ben Adams. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's very good. So, oh, sorry. <clears throat> uh, arr, uh, we're, we're five by five, matey, and I don't even know what I'm saying. Do, do, do pirates typically use radio pro words? or? <laughs> Uh, so, so my non-duress, Pat. Well, first of all, if, if the pirates are attacking, my, the first thing I'm going to say is just going to be batteries release, and hopefully, I won't need any sort of duress code word because that'll take care of the problem. But no, that, that's that's fancy navy talk. Will you explain what that means to me? <laughs> so, batteries release is fancy navy talk for open fire. Oh, shoot! shoot people. I actually thought that shoot meant like them. eject double A batteries from all devices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put them like, on the coffee table so you can redistribute them and put them in the most important remotes that's what you know, it means it's, it's like taking off in an airplane you know you got to turn off all the electronic devices before the, the pirates get on board <laughs> Is it, you're right yeah you have to take a hatchet to everything that might be classified before uh <laughs> um the yeah okay uh, not not like they say in uh remember in battleship where it was like uh it was almost like product placement for um for uh you know u.s navy weaponry it was like light them up with sea whiz guys <laughs> Anyway, uh, so uh, what is what is the password, sir? <clears throat> I think it's just because I really like this word. I got to go with swashbuckler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I mean, it's not that I take exception, but I, I'd like to just point out that, you know, that's a word associated with pirates. Right. And shouldn't your word be chosen from a discourse uh, other drink other than the discourse <laughs> of piracy? <laughs> No, I no. don't no. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, sir. Uh, rather, I, I. Um, Peter Fenzel, next in the alphabet. <laughs> okay, so this one is a deep cut for StarCraft fans in the audience. Uh, so when uh, when Artosis, the famous StarCraft caster Artosis, uh, took Q&A, uh, I believe this was last year, uh, a phenomenon was born wherein uh, people would sign in with uh, lovely and amazing usernames to ask questions live on the air on Korean television, on like the English language channel of Korean television. Uh, and I'm going to go with the, the chief 
of those question askers, and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, my non-duress safe word is uh, Poop Feast 420. Uh, <laughs> the, the illustrious asker of Star Tra- StarCraft-related questions, because even if the pirates figured it out, they would not say it over the radio. I, they would say they, if they tortured me and I and I gave it up, I'd like write it down, and they wouldn't believe me. They, I would say I could say this over the radio, and they'd say you're being ridiculous. Don't say. It. If I said it over the radio when everything was all better, and I just said poop feast four twenty, everyone would have a little laugh, and we'd all be happy, and it would be a nice enough. It'd be a way to kind of take the edge off. What was probably kind of a stressful situation. I mean, I've never been in. I've never interacted with pirates directly, and I've never released any batteries. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I get the sense from the movie that it's not the best way to spend your Sunday afternoon. So. <laughs> uh, excellent. Now, um, legitimate expert in. East Africa, uh, Ryan Sheely, uh, what is your piracy safe word? Well, you know, so I, I think that, um, like Pete, you know, I recognize this could be actually a pretty uh, tense situation needing levity. So my uh, my non-duress word is it's not over, uh, because then that would launch a really nice kind of who's on first kind of situation, uh, which I think is what everyone would need after, you know, days and days of sta- tense uh, uh, stand-up. And I think that, you know, with given my extensive uh, uh, experience in East Africa, I'll tell you that that bit plays all over <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, you bring the uh, you bring the Abbott and Costello down on the iPhone. Oh yeah, you, you play. Oh yeah, I mean that's. I mean there's. I mean that's what the that's what development work is all about. I mean you don't just go all the way to like you know industrialization. You have to bring all of it. Um, and so uh, yeah, it's just part of the uh, the, the good fight. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. They don't get any of the baseball jokes, but they love the mustaches. Right? Oh yeah, you just you just translate it to uh, to, to soccer, to football, um, and it, oh. it it just it works perfectly. But you you keep the mustaches. Yes. <laughs> who's who's at fullback? Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, and mine. I right used... striker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I still maintain that you want you want the word to be just the word because you're you're likely um, to have to have sort of tense conversations with the pirates and you're likely to be uh, under duress if if not uh, the threat of torture uh, or if not actual torture so you know it it would have to be a word I think that you're absolutely uh, unlikely to say um, in any sort of normal discourse and I think for me that word is probably stegosaurus. So I'm going to uh, come on the radio and say uh, stegosaurus, the name of the, you know, the dinosaur. Um, but if- what if the pirates are dinosaurs, Matt? How would you inform the Navy of the kind of dinosaurs that they were if you were hijacked by an actual stegosaurus? Yeah, yes, they'll, on- they'll only be able to take out the Diplodocus and the Velociraptor. Uh, and the- and they, need, they need all three to be green uh, before yes. they fire that shot. You need to spell it out with the, with the uh, with the phonetic alphabet, right? Like, uh, I'm I'm experiencing an attack from a, a, a Sierra Tango Echo <laughs> Golf Alpha Sierra. Oh God, I'm not going to do the whole. No, it's, it's, isn't it an O after the G in Stegos? Oh, is it a Stego? Sorry, I'm sorry. Repeat, repeat. <laughs> Sierra Tango Echo Golf Oscar. 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 Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, so, all right. So we're obviously talking about Captain Phillips um, starring uh, uh, starring Tom Hanks and and no one else you would have heard of. But uh, um, though, actually, the chief engineer I recognized from from other uh, from other film work. But uh, I I think that like we're going to like it's going to be a real deep dive in terms of the like the politics of Somalia and of you know. Uh, uh, naval pirate hunting uh, off the Horn of Africa, but let's let's begin just with um, an evaluation of the film as a you know as a work of art, as a work of storytelling, as a film text. Uh, Pete, are, what did you think of of the film? Uh, you know, as a artistic statement. I, I loved it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. To skip my sort of gushing and sense of shock after it was over. Uh, Ryan and I talked about this too because we saw it together. The the film raises and asks the question, why make this story rather than other stories? Yeah. Uh, there are so many stories around uh, economic inequality, differences of perspective based on the ways that you're raised in different parts of the world, violence and hostage taking. There's so many other stories you could tell. Why tell this story? And I think part of the, the, the film walks a very delicate line where it's telling you that part of why you make this movie is because this is the movie that you would want to watch. You want to watch the story of the hero captain, but it is also at the same time constantly hitting you with the fact that this captain's story isn't really the story that is responsible for the events that are happening. Right? Like it is at once the important thing that you're invested in and you want to see. And it is also at once the totally like none of the events that happened to captain Phillips, um, with only a few exceptions, are really his own doing. Right. There, it's funny difference. that as a, as a protagonist, his strength is not that he makes things happen or not that he sort of quests or achieves. It's that he endures. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about the. It, this is an actor driven movie. It's not even really a character driven movie. It's like, what can Tom Hanks do? You know, what can <laughs> Tom Hanks take? How much can Tom Hanks take before he breaks? Sure. Is, this, this movie is. It's not. It's not quite sober. Well, no. And, but beyond well, no, that, it I mean, actually has that feeling of. Um, I mean, this relates to what Matt said. Of it's you know, stars Tom Hanks and no one else you would have recognized. Is that it? Almost feels in some ways like a reality show that Tom Hanks has been put into a reality show uh, in which he's the captain of a, um, of a, of a, of a freight liner and, uh, and he gets taken hostage by Somali pirates. Right. Um, Cause it feels, and, and maybe we'll talk a little bit later about some of the cinematography and some of the, um, the casting of some of the, the pirates, but you, you feel that, you know, he is the only person that you, that you recognize. And as Pete says, he is enduring this and, it, you know, it's, and, and there's a lot of these kind of, you know, increasing trials and kind of indignities heaped um, uh, upon, uh, you know, upon Captain Phillips, but really on uh, on Tom Hanks, because he's, you know, what the, what is often like was familiar for the, the viewing audience to, to latch on to. Yeah. And it's 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 a it's a bit of a deconstruction, a little bit of just heroic cinematic narrative. Uh, it's just a little bit of a peek under the hood. They like unweave it just enough that you can tell it as threads and then they kind of leave it on the table for you. Um, I mean, what do you mean? That, uh, unpack that a little bit, Pete. Oh well, so um, I mean, this is—it's similar to the phenomenon we talk about a lot, where uh, uh, entertainment impugns or indicts a certain salaciousness while at the same time indulging in it, right? Which we talk about sure. all the time. And in this movie, the CSI, it's, it's the CSI phenomenon, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I call it—I call it the Law and Order SVU phenomenon. That's oh, my, SVU, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's yeah. what I meant. The, 
all those shows look alike. But to what me. is it? <laughs> well, right? They are. I, well, never mind. But um, it's it's ye olde Puritan Dodge, right? Is yeah, is I, what it is at the yeah, at its core. Yeah. But in this movie, this is also sort of – it's sort of similar to the challenge that Alfonso Cuaron faced when he made Gravity. And, of course, we talked about Gravity last week. I'm not going to give any spoilers for Gravity, so don't worry about it. The main thing that is true about Gravity that is relevant to this discussion is that Alfonso Cuaron decided to make the the real main protagonist of Gravity a woman because he was afraid that his movie was going to get sucked into the sort of gravity well of heroic narrative, which he thinks of, I think rightfully so, as kind of cheapening human stories sometimes – steers them along a very predictable path and makes it very hard to confront in these stories certain very difficult realities, you know, such as, like, in his case, existential threat, threat, uh, dread, and in this case, like, just vast historical and institutional injustices, you know, and also, and just wheels, you know, cogs and wheels and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the hero isn't allowed to be helpless, and in this case, he's not, he doesn't feel helpless. So, if Quaron just said, screw it, I'm just going to make it a woman, and I'm going to force it to be different by making it superficially different in a way that will just jar people out of the idea that this is what it is. Uh, this movie more constructively engages with the idea that Captain Phillips is going to be seen as a hero uh, and has him do have scenes where he's heroic. Like uh, the, One of the great arcs of this movie is the way that Captain Phillips feels about the 16-year-old pirate. Right, whom he originally horribly wounds by having him step on broken glass. Yeah. Right, like, and it's easy to forget that he's the one who remorselessly, uh, you know, has the glass broken in front of the door and then denies that it was him's fault. Right, that horribly injures this kid, and it's his fault that the kid is injured like this. Of course, oh well, he didn't send the kid and on the pirate mission and all that stuff. But then later, he sort of presumes to be the kid's savior by pushing him off the boat. Right, which is this? Which is when he jumps in the water to try to escape. Um, when he rejects seat fifteen, and we're going to talk about seat fifteen later uh, because that's really important too. But when he jumps off the boat and he pushes the kid off the boat, he's presuming to be this kid's sort of savior and father figure, as if he's going to help him out of this situation, which also turns out to be kind of false, right? And in the end, the kid gets shot in the head right in front of him, right? And he has to cry about it, and they're like. This is, it's, it's, this is that's parenthood in a nutshell, really. Uh, <laughs> you inflict the wounds, you try to fix them, and then it's uh, all for naught. Consequences. <laughs> you weep over what you had wrought unto the world. So yeah, so like he tries valiantly. He's sad that the kid dies. He's got his heart in the right place, it seems, but he also is part of the mechanism that got the kid there in the first place. So there's so you can if you look at the different scenes in the movie you can sort of see the different genres and mini genres that are and micro genres that are seizing various moments. Well, yeah, and I think we talked about this a little bit, Pete. My favorite kind of micro genre was like the 20 minutes, like basically right when the pirates boarded the ship, when it was basically home alone on a boat. Um, And, (laughs) um, you know, because like that's that's what really kind of when uh, they they. Um, smashed up the uh, the bottle and laid that trap. Um, that you know, I, I felt like the next thing that was going to happen was like queue up rocking around the Christmas tree and put the like Michael Jordan cutout on a train. And I was like, oh, this boat's filled with people. We got to turn away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the paint, the paint cans come flying down uh, and, yeah, yeah. and so on. Um, yeah, I was and, just about to. I was just about to mention the paint cans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and you know, before that. It's actually it feels much more like a like you know a, a split screen workplace drama right where you have you know the the kind of standard operating procedures and the kind of 
work um, and, and lines of authority and, and kind of going to work um, on the uh, on, on, on the two kind of sets of boats on the um, on the Maersk uh, on the Alabama and then on the on the pirate boats right and they're kind of intercut um, until they um, converge in the same place and then you kind of and then you have the um, the well there's a brief kind of a chase seg- uh, segment, um, and then uh, Home Alone, um, and then um, and then hostage drama, and I, w- I could probably break those down in a finer grand way, uh, both in terms of nailing kind of what genre and like micro genre um, they are like. Uh, but I, I felt like there were these um, movements, and sort of like Pete was saying that these kind of correspond, I think, in various ways to the various levels of agency that Captain Phillips is exerting, right? And you know is you know the the film's called Captain Phillips and Captain Phillips is a lot of different things you know at, at some points he is you know is as he says a hero uh and in other uh cases he's an object he's a thing that's being um passed around or bargained with uh or saved um uh, in in some way or another yeah there's the really creepy shot where he's being watched at the airport when he's taking his luggage out of his car uh did you ben and matt did you guys notice that because ryan and i talked about this when like when he's boarding the plane and he reaches into his trunk to get the luggage there's this weird shot that's taken as if from across the street with yeah. a zoom lens yeah 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 and it, it, it sort of communicated to me at least by the time the movie had ended that captain phillips is this thing that is being watched from all sides well yeah i mean and, it's yeah. i mean it's interesting like surveillance surveillance is one aspect of the movie i i won't call it a theme because it's not really i don't think it's really about that but it's one aspect that's sort of ever present right with with the idea that the the U.S. Navy comes in with with vastly superior technology and the ability to kind of see in the dark and to hear uh, what's going on and like this, you know, the idea of being sort of the, uh, being surveilled uh, or being well, and sort the of idea of knowing uh, that you know the moment very near the end uh, where the, um, the they they list off all of the names of all of the pirates right yeah. and where they're from and who they are right um, and it's like oh they know who we are. Um, and and you know, it's in some ways, like there, like there's this like weird moment where they're like, "Oh, we're." It's almost like they feel like there's this glimmer of like, "Oh, we're famous, guys. We're um, famous." Yeah, but it's also, I mean, what is that at that moment? It's about this is maybe getting too too deep in, but it's about kind of threatening them. Uh, but it's also about establishing legitimacy, right, for mm-hmm. the plo- for the ploy at the end. And I mean, I don't know. Spoiler alert for Captain Phillips: He lives, right? Like, uh, <laughs> well, that there's not much, right? You you probably read it in the newspaper. Well, and oh, that's, I mean, I guess, oh, sorry, I, what I was going to say is I think that that's another angle um, of the question of why make this movie? Um, and, you know, in addition to sort of say why this story, I think it's, you know, there, there's also a broader question about kind of um, why make um, based on true events um, movies where that you know what happened. Um, and I think that, and I guess this is hard because I don't have a good barometer of how well you know, how well known this, um, story is in, in kind of general interest. Cause I kind of, you know, I follow goings on in East Africa. And so <laughs> I kind of knew what, what happened. Uh, and so for me, it's like, well, yeah, I know what happens. Um, and so, you know, the, the question is, well, then what, you know, whether in this specific movie or in other movies, and, you know, I, we have a lot of, 
um, it, it, just judging by the previews, um, there's a, a bumper crop of kind of based on true events movies coming out. Um, whether it's the, um, I mean, the upcoming. This wasn't in, in the previews, but it's all over uh, all at, all advertising right now. The Julian Assange uh, WikiLeaks movie, sure. uh, the Fifth Estate, that's coming out in a few weeks, um, and just several other um, different types of uh, current events um, or current events or real events, like several um, World War II movies coming out that are based on true events um and the kind of uh, uh hiv aids uh drug uh smuggling movie that's coming out uh later uh, the, the the dallas buyers club or whatever lots of kind of based on true events movies and there's like i think a question of um especially for things like this you know this happened in the last four years um and and for you know most kind of people you know, for many kind of uh, people who read the news regularly, it was something that people are familiar with. So it's kind of, you know, what are the kind of artistic purposes of um, of of doing this kind of, you know, dramatization uh, of a um, of a real event that um, we know the outcome of. I mean, I think the the question that's being answered is, you know, tr- normally it's what's going to happen. That, that's normally the, the, the mm-hmm. first question that a movie is going to answer. But clearly that's not the question. So I think it's the question that this movie is seeking to answer is what is it like when this happened? Uh-huh. The, it, it's more an experiential yeah. Um, yeah. goal. The goal of the movie is to get you to, to, to experience this thing that happened. And I think that's heightened when you know that it really happened as opposed mm-hmm. to a similar event, but that's fictionalized. Or that, I mean, that there's a claim that, that there's a, you know, right. marginally justifiable claim that can be made that, that it, it really happened because I mean there, and maybe we will get into this or not, but you can read the, the Wikipedia page for the film. And there's some controversy as to like, whether this guy is actually a good guy or whether he wasn't, uh, you know, in some sense to blame uh, because he ignored warnings and things like that. I, I also think like, I, I, I can't, separate the question ryan that you raise from the fact that it's a paul greengrass movie and that it's you know that and paul greengrass being the guy who shot some of the later or who directed rather some of the later born movies i i say shot because i associate uh his authorship with um a certain kind of like shaky cam cinema verite I've heard it called documentary style, but I've seen documentaries that are like more elegantly shot. Right. Um, but like the, you know, the sort of, the sort of shaky cam thing and, and, uh, and I, I don't know what I think about the shaky cam. I don't like it aesthetically. Um, like just as, as a choice, I, I sort of, I like a sort of a more stately kind of look to a movie, but, um, the, but whereas in, in, um, in terms of create, sorry, in terms of creating, uh, can I jump in on the shaky cam? Please. The, I, I normally... But uh, for me, the, the shaky cam in this movie was kind of a feature, not a bug. And I think that's because of the subject matter. Uh, it's, it's very claustrophobic. The, the lifeboats, the engine room, the combat information center on... The Navy ship, it's all very claustrophobic, and the action is shaky. So I actually kind of liked the shaky cam here because I thought it it did lend, it gave you kind of a sense of what was going on. I thought it heightened the experience. Whereas like in the Bourne movies where it's a little different, I really disliked it. So, um, okay, go ahead. 
Oh, yeah, I was going to say that's exactly what I was going to say as well, is that, um, you know, that in some way there are several moments in the movie where actually the shaky cam made me seasick in the way that I probably would be on that lifeboat um, <laughs> as well. Um, and, and, and it does kind of convey, um, as Ben was saying, these kind of tight spaces. Um, and, and it does. Uh, and so I think that um, I really write that uh, it zooms in on this, um, you know, what it was like. Um, and so I think that that's kind of an important um, feature of this and is a, a interesting marriage of, um, of Greengrass's style to kind of what it's trying to accomplish. So, well, then let's jump to it, because, Ben, you've been there, right? Yes. <laughs> so can you talk to us about what it was like and about the kind of, I mean, if, if we're ready to move on to that topic, but uh, just what it was like and, and what the situation as described in the movie would be like. I mean, from the perspective, of course, of the people in the naval ship, right. uh, I'm not saying that you were, you took a, a tour of duty as a teamster, you know, loading, <laughs> loading uh, high tops into Maersk containers. Not well, let me wrong with that. No, no. Let me give you my my my, re- my background on this, just so you, you know where I'm coming from. So, uh, so I did on my ship, the Gettysburg. We were at, we were in theater at the time this was all going down. We were about 500 miles north of uh, where the Marisk was going down, so we were getting all the radio reports and things like that. Uh, but they, there were enough ships that were closer that we didn't get sent down. Uh, but I did while we were up there. We did extensive uh, anti-piracy, counter-piracy operations. So I boarded. Uh, a piracy mothership that was very similar to the little fishing trawler they they had out in this one, and we boarded a lot of those skiffs uh, that they were using. Um, and then I have some personal connection to the Maersk situation because one of the ships that was there, the the Halliburton, uh, the ship that does the little high speed maneuver at the end of the movie, uh, that I was that means on making that. waves, right? Right, right. Uh, that, that's all. That, that's all it was. It was just going real close to make a big wave to uh, to kind of throw the pirates off balance. Uh, I was on that ship a couple months later, and so I was, I'm friends with now a bunch of the people that were directly involved with, with what happened in the Maris Alabama. So I have some, at least some secondhand knowledge of, of what happened that night. Um, and just in general, the verisimilitude of the movie is outstanding. Like, the, the bits on the little pirate skiffs and the little pirate mothership, like, it, those looked like the pirate skiffs really looked. Those looked like the pirate motherships really looked. So it was like, it was really bringing me back to... To, to some of the stuff that we, we saw and did. Um, so in that, in that sense, it's a, you know, nine and a half out of 10, it gets pretty much everything just right. So uh, I have a question. Are the, um, are Navy seals as like totally jacked and ripped, uh, as, as they're, de- <laughs> as they're portrayed in that scene? And do they like, like take a long time putting their gear on so that everyone can get a good look at how jacked they are? <laughs> I, I can't comment on that. I don't have too much experience. Is that because it's classified information? <laughs> uh, just so you know, uh, Poop Feast 420. We're none of us are pirates. So we can just speak, permission to speak freely is granted <laughs> um, yeah no i the, the seal the seals are the one thing i can't comment too intelligently on because i don't don't have too much experience on that side of the house they are usually pretty jacked so <laughs> <laughs> what well, i will say that somalis are often very skinny so uh... <laughs> yeah because ryan spent a lot of time in east africa and i've spent a bunch of time at airports uh so i can say that when you takes his bag out of the trunk that was i was that was that was awful. That didn't resemble real life at all. It's usually a taxi. Um, so, 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 well, well, then let's go past the sort of the way that it looks because 
there are a lot of things about the movie where you can make a choice to be like real life, but it kind of matters which choice to be like real life you make. Right. right? Uh, and so just sort of dramatically, how would you characterize the kind of feel of these sorts of situations? Is there, I mean, maybe I'm speaking a little bit too esoterically, but uh, I, I know what you mean. So like the yeah. one thing that I notice, particularly about the portrayal of, and maybe I'm sensitive to this because it's obviously it's kind of like hits close to home, but like the portrayal of all of the U.S. military personnel is very robotic. Like they're all kind of dicks throughout the movie. <laughs> like they're, they're doing their jobs, but like at no point is there ever any humor or like humanity in on the U.S. military side of things. They're always tense and talking in clipped, terse technical language well can i say i mean except for the the commanding officer right of the oh say again the name of the the name of the ship that that Uh, the bainbridge the bainbridge right like except for the the commanding officer the bainbridge who seems to want to like resolve it as it were diplomatically and there i mean and it seemed to be setting up um I mean, it seemed to be setting up a little micro-genre movie between the, the commander of the Bainbridge, who wants to talk, who's a hostage negotiator, essentially, and, the, and Max Martini as the commanding officer of the, or the commander, rather, of the, uh, the SEAL team, who was a cowboy, right? And so it was right. like, I don't know, it was, um, what's the, the movie with, uh, with uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and... Uh, uh, Oh, no. <laughs> the, the negotiator. The negotiator, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, or right, like it. It was a sort of a. It was a SWAT movie, uh, a little bit at that right. at those particular um, at those particular moments. And that, and I mean that was what I think that that scene of like the the uh, commanding officer. And actually, this this was a question I had about the thing because um, captain is a is a rank. It's not a job, right? It is both. Oh, I see. But, so like, you but are, a ship has a commanding officer who can be a captain or some other rank. Right. Captain is a rank that you can have either on a ship or on shore. Captain is just it's the equivalent of a colonel in the military. Huh. But then anybody who is the commanding officer of the ship will have the honor, will be referred to as captain whatever. On the, okay. So, so, oh, he, so, so he, in this case, he was Commander Castellano. He was a, the, the um, commander of the Bainbridge, was a, had the rank of commander. Mm-hmm. But he would have been referred to as captain on the ship. On the on the ship, I see. Right, and like in the army, a captain a captain is uh, what a like a lieutenant in the navy, right? Right. Yeah, it's a substantially lower rank in the in the army. Sure. Um, okay. So um, th- this shot of him washing his face. I mean, do you re- do you recall that? And be- I do. That was it was an interesting. It, it stood out because it was one of the few kind of humanizing moments of. Of the military personnel, I think that's what was going on with them. But but even even so, even with my tiny well, actually, uh, overwhelmingly, your point is well taken. Right. That, like the, yeah. the the part that really stood out to me is the part where it's the the VBSS team, the the ship's crew that um, are tactically trained. They get on the the Marisk, Alabama, and like tell them that they're going to need to leave, you know, because the military is like taking over the situation. And like at no point are they like. Hey, sounds like you guys have had a tough time. Like, <laughs> how is everything going? Because, like, at this point, they've already been talking protocol, to the radio. Right? Like, at this point, they would have already been talking to the radio for these guys for like a day. So, like, you wouldn't get on and be like, "I'm sorry, I'm taking command of the situation, and you need to leave right away." Like, that's just not how people interact. 
Well, right, and he, even at the very end when he's being treated, when Tom Hanks is being treated medically, it's like, hi, I'll be your corpsman today, right? Like, right. not doctor or something like that. And that was one of the, that was one of the, I don't know, like, I was, uh, I'm, I'll confess, I was, like, well in tears by that, by that part of the movie, <laughs> just because, like, the, the release from that, that level of tension. And also, I thought Tom Hanks was killing it acting-wise. Um, oh, I, I read a great uh, inter- um, review or something, which is saying the last 15 of the minutes of the movie might as well just have uh, for your consideration as like a <laughs> caption on the bottom. <laughs> With the, and I hope that the nurse gets nominated for the Best Supporting Actress role, because that was amazing work that she was doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> totally. Like, it's hard. I think that's an actual Navy corpsman. I could be wrong. Oh, wow. But I, Do, I know they used a lot of actual Navy people in the Oh, that's the movie, amazing. So. Like, and and that's that's hard. Like, I'll just say, as a guy who's been on a couple of movie sets with some movie stars and stuff like that, like, being the guy who co- or, or woman who, who comes in for a day, right, and, like, has to do a scene, has to do, like, a transactional scene with a movie star, especially a movie star who is, like, in uh, uh, Extremis, you know, um, like that is a tough job uh, because you got to you really got to like uh, nut up and or I don't know, go nut up and uh, <laughs> and and deliver because like, you know, the movie is resting on your shoulders, too, there, because it's it's funny, like in in a cast, like not everyone can carry the movie, but everyone can ruin the movie, you know, <laughs> and it's a, so it's a tough uh it, that man, that is a tough job, and yeah, she she really killed it. Also in that in that yeah. final scene, but in that the, like this, it was oh, it goodbye. was it was so it was so transactional though. You know you know what I mean. That like um, it was so transactional that even that like little bit of humanity when he was supposed to be like under a doctor's care at that point was was pretty pretty robotic, and she sounded a, she sounded a little robotic, kind of doing her protocol and doing her you know. Uh, uh, whatever it is, cognitive or neurology screen or something like that. Like, you know, do, do you know what day it is? What's your name? That kind of stuff. Well, there's a lot of like doing your job. Like, and there, uh, in, in the movie, um, there are a lot of elements, a lot of kind of thematic elements about doing your job and, you know, and, and, you know, having a boss and who you work for. And I think that, I mean, one way to kind of, um, you know, interpret some of the, the what seems more, robotic on the part of um on of the navy uh is that you know in some ways although this is a and you know ben correct me if i'm like totally um you know missing something here or, or talking out of my my butt but um i you know it's just that like even though this is a crisis in a kind of extraordinary situation there are protocols for this and and that there is a way to do this while still doing your job and do something that you have been prepared to do in some way whereas i think what's interesting about um the both the um you know the more humanized pieces of this which are the you know captain phillips and the crew of the alabama and um and actually really the pirates themselves that they are doing their jobs but then are like under prepared for it in various ways right and there's these various moments of kind of tension between kind of still trying to do your job um, and not necessarily having the ability to do, to do that. And, and I think that, and so there's a lot in the, um, 
in 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 the movie uh, of of various attempts to do this and and how it is putting these characters at cross purposes um, and and how that's kind of driving the movement within these kind of micro genre pieces and from one to the next. Uh, whereas um, you know part of why it's possible um, for any one of these, either the uh, the corpsman or the um, various other um, naval officers that we see, uh, to to seem robotic is that um, you know that they are able to do their job in a way um, that is is less extraordinary. And you even see this after the operation is done. You kind of see the SEAL team kind of just packing up, packing up their gear, walking back, like, you know, as if it's just walking, you know, um, off of any other job. And, and there's a lot of this discourse in various ways throughout uh, the film and uh, in various dynamics. I, I think that's right on because we see it, at the beginning of the movie with the where Tom Hanks is kind of where Captain Phillips is talking to the crew about mm-hmm. their jobs that, you know, what they what they did and did not sign up for. Uh, right. Because exactly. they're, they're getting a little freaked out about the, the pirate threat in the area. Well, yeah. And this is this is a like a, a controversial issue, I gather, uh, having read several Wikipedia articles on the subject. Um, the, uh, because it, it seems like in fact, uh, or at least it seems like, uh, his crew is alleging that, uh, the actual, the real life Captain Phillips was off course, should not have been so close to the Somali coast, uh, and actually put, put them, they're alleging in a lawsuit for, you know, many tens of millions of dollars that, uh, he, he put them in, in harm's way, uh, and that it, and ignored warnings and things like this. And it was, um... Uh, it was reckless of him um, to have done this. Ooh, this is a way that I have kind of something. All you guys have this direct experience with what's going on, and I have a little bit of indirect experience with this because my father was a maritime attorney who dealt with lawsuits involving pirates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what I can say from the stories he's told me is that people will claim all sorts of crap in lawsuits, and it's not necessarily true. Uh, and in fact, it's very important. I think actually, I did say I did say alleged. I, yeah, you know, that his. Well, uh, <laughs> I think one of the one of the things that is true about this story as far as I can tell uh, is the way that the people who are involved with these kinds of um, uh, transactions I should say to describe piracy as a transaction is perhaps too complicated hey but it's the, just uh, business he's not Al-Qaeda alright <laughs> exactly but the idea that you're going to do a series of things and the insurance company is going to come along and pay you and then that's what's going to be okay uh, I would say that, that that's a fairly common mindset from what I learned from my father is that like uh, the, the at the end of the day when terrible things happen on a boat uh, of a non-military nature there's going to be some insurance company that's going to come along and give someone a bunch of money uh and it's it's a matter of who well i want uh, to yeah i i, I want to like go i want to go into the like there god there's so many ways that we can go from here and i want to go all of them i want to talk about the the merchant marine you know i would like to talk about um uh I don't know. I would like to talk about sort of policing international waters and like that's mm-hmm. this is a very interesting this is a very interesting kind of mission for the US military. But let's let's dive a little bit into uh especially because the movie is so self-conscious about them. Let's dive uh a little bit into the the pirates. Um Yeah. 
because I think that that uh, this this is a very this is a very interesting perspective that Pete raises on the pirates. They don't have recourse to a legal system to uh, redress uh, injustices or alleged injustices, um, or to you know I don't know re- redistribute wealth, right? <laughs> like <laughs> to uh, right like they they don't have. Uh, uh, there's not a state, right? There's not a functioning state, right? Uh, so there's, I mean, so that so that it it ends up being uh, something that we've talked a lot about on the TFT podcast. Uh, in case you're interested in that one, um, <laughs> we've talked about it as stationary banditry, and and Ryan's a lot more qualified than I am to to talk about what exactly uh, what exactly that means. But but in in outline, it means that you know um, you can have sort of non-state uh, sort of non-legitimate actors who provide a lot of the functions of a state, uh, because they don't because they uh, are really kind of a state of last resort, right? Yeah, yeah, like well, like G unit. Yep. Yes, <laughs> much like G unit. Well, I think what's interesting is that so, and this the idea uh, where this comes from is that. Um, in, in some social science theory on the rise and origins of states is that the, you know, the, in kind of early modern Europe and early kind of formation of other kind of territorial states, that these were often actually just roving bandits who realized that they could kind of get a better take if they became stationary and extracted less from a, like, one given um, place, right? And that, that, that extraction and that extortion became taxes. Uh, and, and, but then there was a quid pro quo of exchanging a more moderate amount of tax for protection, right? And, and so there's, and I think there's a really interesting, um, it, there is a oh, so the idea, the idea is that it's like the, the etiology of the modern state is that it is, you know, a, I don't know, Mongol hordes or, you know, Norse hordes or whatever, like. That, that, that settle down, right? That, that become stationary. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and there's a few um, pieces on this. Like there's a, a sociologist named Charles Tilly has a piece called State Making as Organized Crime. Um, and, but I think there's a really interesting thing here where the, and you, we see this at a number of points throughout the movie where they're the, the pirates kind of are thinking in terms of differences in, in scope, um, and differences in, in kind of magnitude, uh, whereas the different, uh, 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 of how to relate themselves to America or to relate themselves to Captain Phillips. Um, uh, like, you know, so that we have our small skiff and this big boat is just a bigger version of this boat. Um, or we have Somalia uh, and we have our kind of tribal elders and, and warlords and the United States is a bigger version of that. And, uh, and, in reality, what is uh, the difference is, is one in kind. It is qualitatively different set of, of institutions or systems, whether it's kind of differently, you know, uh, of, of different kind of mechanical systems, you cannot just fix by hitting it a couple of times. Uh, or, you know, and the, what I was going to mention with respect to this idea about penetry is that um, there's one scene when they're on the uh, the life raft where he says, oh, well, this is, we're just taking taxes, right? This is just a tax that we're taking. Um, and... Well, the- just on that on that front there's a great part where they're in the first chase scene where they're rolling up on the the alabama uh they're calling on the radio and identifying themselves as the somali coast guard 
<laughs> which is awesome. Um, yeah, well, no, exactly. Uh, and yeah, and they're, like they're saying, and in that way, there is actually a logic of a um, like a protection racket, but it's just purely like the hey, your boat, we're the Coast Guard. Your boat's looking mighty flammable. Uh, <laughs> let, us, let us aboard, uh, and and we can we can help you out, right? Um, and and I think that. And, and I think that, that there's this understanding, right, and you see this um, throughout where, on the one hand, right, the, the pirates um, speak English, which I think is not just a convenient fiction, but is, I think, plausible. And I think, and I don't know the case, the uh, actual case well enough to know um, how good the actual English of the, uh, the, the parts in the, in the uh, actual um, event where it was, but like there is like some familiarity with um, America and some familiarity with you know a variety of things, but you know this idea of of taxing um, them, uh, you know, is still much more really what they are calling a tax is actually this much more um, a this 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 kind of roving bandit uh, extraction, and you even see this this kind of. Uh, played at the very beginning of the uh, film, where, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, um, at the point where the, uh, early in the movie, where the uh, the pirate uh, boat crew is being recruited, um, you see a similar dynamic where there's kind of extortion um, by the, the captains of the boats uh, uh, toward, directed towards the people who want to be on the boats, right? And you actually, the guys joining the crew are actually paying to join the boats and there's this kind of nested set of patron client relationships and yes both at the level of the individual boats where these guys are kind of paying um like a small tribute or a small fee to be included uh in this in this take and then this is going up the 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 chain to larger warlords and larger um commanders um and it's kind of assumed that you know th- you know um that this is what a tax is uh and and as as opposed to this um you know the the broader notion of you know what a state does of as providing um uh, uh, public goods uh, in exchange for uh, uh, tax revenue. Right. The the um, they're all. I mean, there also is sort of no monopoly on violence. Right. In the what is yeah. it like Weberian sent d- definition of a state? Have I got yeah. that right? That yeah, exactly. that like violence violence actually can can come from any source uh, at any at any time, and there's no sort of criterion for legitimacy. Um, uh, for like a, for a legitimate use of violence, other than uh, effectiveness, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's privatized, right? The, the, <laughs> and, and and you see this uh, in in this case, whereas you know, the first thing you see in the um, in you know, the seaside um, village or town is every is guns, right? Is everyone is armed, um, and and you know, and you grab your gun um, and kind of you know enter into you know relationships at a given time um and 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 yeah I mean, we can talk a little more about that but that it's a stark contrast to the kind of level of organization of um violence that we start to or you know the use of violence and legitimate use of violence that we see um once the um once the u.s navy is in play well that i mean that's that's interesting but stick a pin in that for a second can we do sure. a little sidebar on the weed that everyone is chewing yes. on 
Yes, please. Oh, God. Oh, yes. So, um, okay. So this is uh, Murat, uh or and also known as uh, Cut, uh, which is a, a stimulant that is grown. Actually, in uh, a lot of it is grown in the Mount Kenya region uh, of of Kenya, um, and so and it, so this is a um, it, it basically is a provides a buzz. I understand is somewhere just slightly more intense than like a strong, um, cup of, of coffee. Um, and so it's chewed a lot in the regions of Kenya near where it's, uh, grown. Um, and then kind of throughout, um, like Northeastern Kenya and Somalia, and then actually widely throughout the Middle East as well. Um, and it's, it's chewed exactly in this way that it's, uh, depicted, um, in the uh, in the film of, uh, of of basically biting the leaves and pulling them off and then chewed and it's it's um, a very it's often done I mean both throughout a workday I mean and and you see it's actually traded off um, it's intercut with cigarette smoking um, uh, on 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 behalf of the pirates but um, you know when I've seen it. In use, and I've I have I have friends who who chew mara. Um, it's a it, it's you you kind of chew and stay up all night talking. Um, and 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 are and you know my friends like and Kenya like to say. Uh, uh, well, I use stimulants because I like to be stimulated, um, and, uh, uh, and and they always uh, and they always like uh, you know uh, I'm always encouraged to take part, and I, I've I've decided that you know this falls right on the uh, the no go side of the of the straight edge. Um, and, uh, and so I've said, I'm already adequately stimulated. Thank you very much. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, so it's, it's, uh, and I liked seeing this because at least it, you know, because it's grown and chewed in the, uh, parts of Kenya that I've, that I've worked in. Um, it, it just, it's use, um, and and importance of both kind of procurement and how procurement and how much uh, was around and then the kind of habitual chewing of it um, was very much just part of the the texture. I mean, you know, Ben talked about the very similitude um, from the kind of other side, but just um, I've been in um, you know crowded hot poorly ventilated vehicles with lots of people chewing that. And so all that was like missing was the kind of woodsy smell, um, of, of the Mirage. Uh, and it was very there and it was, and it, it was really kind of this small detail, um, that doesn't like, you know, explain behavior or anything, but is much more of a small detail of, yeah, like that, that makes this like, you know, ind- indicates that, Search done to to um, to to create that texture. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, it, it's a gesture at verisimilitude, but it's also, I mean, I don't know. It also is a, a sort of real real detail beyond just being a gesture. Okay, so yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of directions that that we can go here. I mean, we can talk about uh, we can talk about the Merchant Marine, which I think would be fascinating. We can talk about. Uh, legitimate uses of violence uh which i think also would be fascinating and or we can also talk um <laughs> we can also talk about a uh you know two-hour advertisement for the united states navy and a, and a kind of uh uh military triumphalism i you know i don't know um and the sort of the the discipline and the the 
the discipline and the kind of measured use of violence versus the the pirates kind of undisciplined use of violence um, or or i don 't know we could go in in a different direction we could talk about everybody having a boss you know uh, <laughs> and um, you know the state the kind of the existential state of of having a boss uh, what what uh, what strikes you guys as a direction you want to go in? Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the seat 15 stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. You said we would get back to that. So let's do yeah, it. Yeah, as long as we said it. So, and this, I think, can also tie into the talking about the movie does ha- have a bit of a. Um, so I feel like Ben was right in mentioning that the U.S. Navy is the most fictionalized of the institutions in the movie. And I think that, and, and I was talking with Ryan about this before about how. The movie is yes, it's based on true events, but it's also influenced by other movies and other other cinema. So it's weird. It's like your true event was influenced by Breaking Bad because you had a pic, uh, the print of the gun on your forehead. But um, but like so, it made me it made me think a little bit about how in British literature, often the British Navy is really upheld as this this. Um, this outpost of civilization, right? This this civilized that is, that is it's civilizing both abroad and at home. It has this profound influence on the way that the world operates. And and I want to talk. And so with that in mind, right? With the idea that the the Navy's power in this movie is huge, and it is assumed to have a an earth shaking social power in the places where it operates, and it just doesn't happen to operate here. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about what seat fifteen represents in this movie, the seat that Tom Hanks is sitting in, at least what I felt like it represented in the movie, because it's so loaded as a symbol. And I think, on one hand, seat 15 should be a happy place, because it's the seat that's protected by the U.S. Navy, right? Like, seat 15 is the seat that's safe. Seat 15 is, you know, in, in A Few Good Men, in the society that has walls, and those walls are protected by men with guns, <laughs> seat 15 is on the right side of the wall of the men with guns, right? And you should, A, be happy that you're there and not someone else, and B, like, kind of, you know, yes, in your desire to be generous to other peoples and to sort of recognize their plight on being on the other side of the wall, not forget to drop a little bit of thanks to the people who are protecting you there, right? So, like, that's this kind of stock. Hollywood attitude, I feel, about what a seat 15 might be. Uh, but in this movie, seat 15 becomes this like dark, twisted thing that Tom Hanks is stuck in as he as he watches the events unfold around him. Right. And it, I think that um, in the in the um, one of the mantras in the movie that keeps getting repeated is everything is going to be OK. Right, like it's all going to be okay, and and this is first said when Tom Hanks is talking to his wife about how globalization is going to affect the job prospects of his children. Right, of course. That's, <laughs> I mean, God, we haven't even we haven't even talked about that, and that's like that that I would call that section a coda, but it's like a it's it's not a it's not a tale. It's a it's like a. Um, it's like a pre pre song introduction. It's like a Vorstrophe in German, right? Like the little introduction of the song that is neither verse nor chorus, because we, like we we sort of the movie begins on sea and it ends on on the sea with the the big shot, right? And uh, what the hell is that that scene doing there, Pete? <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like one of the reasons it's there is that it completely changes in meaning after the movie is over. Uh, I mean, it's sort of foreshadowing, but it's also it's about this feeling of safety that Americans have come, become accustomed to feel because of the levels of protection that we have and the economic opportunities that we have. Wait, I mean, are it's, you saying that America is seat fifteen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think America is seat fifteen anymore. I think mm. that I'm, 
I think, well, and I mean, that's, okay, so the, the conventional way of narrating this would be that C-15 is like the part of America that existed before Vietnam, and then after Vietnam, everything changed or something, but of course, that's not necessarily Right, how it exactly, happened. like in the yeah. 50s when everyone was like laboring under threat of nuclear annihilation all the time, and that was like very much at the forefront of everybody's conf- <laughs> consciousness, yeah. like it wasn't like people felt safer at night, you know, if anything, they felt less safe because, yeah, you know, yeah. death from above and whatnot. <laughs> right and, and like so it see to to degree c15 is sort of like america in that it both represents the safety that americans feel like they ought to feel but also the horror that americans often feel now at the knowledge of their own relative safety right it's like i am safe and the world is terrible right and it's and i as a moral person am not comfortable with this situation i don't like the idea that there are people out in africa starving hey, what a great mantra that is right like people in africa are starving so you know people in africa are starving is a great statement of broad american ignorance and sympathy like ignorant sympathy for the plights of other peoples right it's like i don't know what's going on but i'm trust that it's terrible and i feel terrible about it right um and again i don't want to just in, 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 i don't want to just indict people for being insensitive because that's not the point and that's kind of what this movie one of the many things this movie is about is about that the difficulty of reconciling those circumstances, wherein, like, as an American, you're relatively safe. You have relatively better job opportunities than a lot of people. You're more prosperous than a lot of people. In this movie, you're fatter. You know, like, all the people from <laughs> Africa are really skinny. All of the Americans are either really fat or hugely muscled, right? Like, they're all very well fed. Everyone went to the Ponderosa before they shot this movie. Um, but it, but at the same time, except for Tom to, Hanks, who has type two diabetes. Well, exactly. <laughs> right now, so he has to slim down, uh, and also has very long nipples. If anyone noticed that, but um, I guess that wasn't a, a main highlight. But the point is that, like, you know, yes, there's also aid that's going to Africa, which is kind of shaken, you know, shrugged off in this movie, and another good example of like. We want to think that the kind feelings and sympathies that we have for these other places are kind of meaningful for their circumstances, uh, and that they balance out some sort of moral calculus by which we live our own lives. Uh, and the horror is not so much that it is inadequate, but that it is unrelated. Right? It, that's yeah. the horror of seat 15. It's not that all of our niceness isn't enough to save the 16-year-old kid. It's not that we could have saved the 16-year-old pirate and we didn't. You know, the horror of seat 15 is that, like, whether we want to save the 16-year-old kid or not doesn't matter. Right? Like, it's, it's the things that have put us in the situations that we are in are beyond our control. Yeah, that's well, so, and I mean, that's and we're as mm-hmm. clueless and helpless about how to, like, solve, like, to affect their situation as they are uh, to, like you know, start navigating, making the boat move again, right? That, that like, they're fundamentally, the gears cannot mesh up, right? That, that they're just, like, gears of vastly different sizes that cannot even turn one another. Yeah. And the movie, to a large degree, is also, like, a, a, buddy, a buddy cop movie where there's the hope <laughs> that Tom Hanks and the head pirate are going to, like, whose name I should know, he was found at a Minneapolis talent search for Somali actors because Minnesota has the largest population of Somalis in the United States. All of them. All four. All four main pirates were, right? Yeah. Oh, we're from this, for, from this, uh, four of the main pirates were from this, this one community center talent search in Minneapolis. His, uh, Muse, right, was yeah, the name yeah, of yeah. the... 
Musei's character. But they're set up as sort of like foils where it's like it's like the killer, like the, the John Woo movie, where it's like the cop and the criminal are really the same person, right? And then they, they sort of discover that they're – which is the inspiration for Face Off, the, the, the not superior, <laughs> more legendary movie, right? Like it's like you – know, it's like you know, Tom Hanks is, is uh, Nicolas Cage and Musei is John Travolta. <laughs> they they kind of want to switch places except that it doesn't work out that way. Right, like I'm going to take his vast, vastly inferior socioeconomic position off. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I, I mean, that's that's sort of in. There are a couple interesting things there, but like the the one I'm interested in is the kind of the the sense of 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 sort of fadedness, right? Like that that uh, I mean, it may as well be called like Captain Phillips colon creative destruction, right? Like that that like yeah. there is this um, there there are these kind of larger for- forces, and I think they are posited here as being primarily economic forces, uh, right? Like the movement of the movement of goods, and yeah, aid, but but. The the aid is is I mean food aid right in 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 uh, uh, in the hold, but like that's kind of laughed off by everybody, right? Like, and it's it's seen as like the thinnest of pretexts when uh, uh, when Tom Hanks is like, ah, yeah, we we got the food aid, you know. Um, actually, this is also could be called a Captain Phillips column, uh, colon Boston accents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, we got the food aid, right? Like, no, 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 it's the money. What do you, what do you got? TVs, cars, you know, uh, $30 million, you know, tens of millions of dollars for the, uh, for the thing. Everybody's got a boss, right? And the boss's boss is the invisible hand, you know, right. is the, is the sort of the, just the sort of operation, the inhuman, uh, operation of markets at a higher level of abstraction than any one person can, um, can uh, uh, I don't know? Can uh, uh, affect uh, well, right? And and I think that I mean that's one of the really striking things about the movie. I mean, it's like almost like a one punch of like you know there is that there's those last fifteen minutes of the movie and that like really jarring like last scene, and then there's the the epilogue where they kind of catch you up on. Um, what actually happened with everyone. And I think the really striking the last bit of like kind of uh, narrative information that you get is that. Um, that Captain uh, Phillips returned to sea in 2010, like a year after these events. Um, and, and I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, I, I in part infer that, you know, this is, I mean, and, and I, you know, that there is a need to kind of go back to sea. I mean, in addition to it being his job and his work and what he does, there's, you know, potentially also a need to pay bills and pay, pay college tuition for students. And, but I thought, um, I, like, I thought that one of the micro genres was uh, of the cop who's like one day away from retirement. Right? <laughs> Wasn't that like part of the discussion between Tom Hanks and Catherine Keener that it's like one more job, you know, or, or something like that, that he's getting close to uh, he's getting close to um, you know, closing the book on his his career actually it was it's, the opposite oh i see it like it was like oh each time you go away you think it would get easier but it really doesn't then this is our life you know and it's like ah, oh, it's gonna be fine <laughs> right it's like uh you think that we're gonna get some sort of sunset but it's not going to stop it's gonna be relentless 
Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe that was the sense I got from the. That's, uh, that was also the sense I got from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also during that conversation, to add to what you were saying before about the sort of one of the big forces at work in this movie being the movement of goods and services. Yeah. Think about the shot of them driving and how, and the enormous highway shot of the giant flow of cars. I thought that was a really cool shot where they're having the conversation, but you see this like giant flow of cars down the Vermont highway towards Boston or whatever it is they're they're driving. And, and contrast that to the desert that the Somalis live in, right? Where, like, think of the massive movement of goods and services that are happening on, like, the highway system. I mean, I, let, me, let me posit this, because I just talked a little bit about helplessness, and I'm here with people who presumably have in their lives attempted to help this situation in some way, which I, of course, cannot presume to have done. I mean, Ben and Ryan, you've both, you know, been there. I mean, maybe not Somalia. Yeah, it's, it's my know. job. Yeah, it's, both, it's been both of your jobs. So what are you guys doing? It was your job to fix this. Why did you fix it? No, I mean Ben did fix it a bunch of yeah, times. I was just, uh... Oh, we all Ben. What about you? What, what do you feel when you go out there in the Indian Ocean and in like off the Horn of Africa? Do you I'm feel sure, empowered in C sixteen? Um, and so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when, there was, yeah, the, when there was only one set of wake in the water, that's when Ryan carried you. Yeah. you know? Ryan insisted on leaving a seat for an old widow, and then he was taken out by the Navy SEAL snipers, is what you're saying. Right? <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, does it feel – I mean, I, I, maybe, I don't want to – I'm not saying you should say anything demoralizing, obviously, because you have responsibilities, and I, I'd imagine marks of character as a naval officer. But, like, do you feel hopeful when your guys are out there? Is it part of the mentality of being part of a large – sort of socioeconomic thing, you know, that you feel empowered to make a difference. So the way, so it, 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 if you try to look at the whole problem, it was very frustrating because like we, the, there's a couple shots that do a good job of establishing like just how big the ocean is compared to the ships that are, that we're dealing with here. You know, like the Bainbridge is like a day and a half away from this situation in the ocean. And until then everybody's on their own. And so, like, it was difficult to try to think of, like, oh, this little thing that we're doing is going to fix this problem. Because it wasn't. Like, we were out there. We, you know, arrested a couple dozen pirates. We stopped, you know, a, a number of pirate attacks. But, like, that's a drop in the bucket in the, the total problem of piracy. So we, you usually had to look at it at a much smaller rate as, like, catching this pirate on this day or preventing this attack on this day is going to like mean that Tom Hanks isn't going to end up in seat 15 because there's not going to be, you know, there's going to be a specific ship that's not going to be taken hostage. Uh, in the same sense that like, I think like you have to like have a beat cop mentality, more of like, I'm not going to stop all of crime today, but maybe I can stop some crimes today. So how does that I, contrast with how you feel about it, Ryan, as, well, as a political scientist? Well, I think that well, but I'm I am in a interesting position as a political scientist who has chosen to go and keep going back to this part of the world, and um, and and I think that and and you know is at least in in part you know in addition to I mean the like you know the 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 trickle down I mean a lot of academia. Um, not just political science, but you know, a lot of academia, when it thinks about kind of solving problems, has this kind of trickle-down approach of, I will write my article, uh, it will be published, it will contribute to knowledge, that knowledge will make the world a better place. Um, but and, and, and I, on one hand, find that 
um, very unsatisfying. But I think that, there, you know, kind of like as Ben is saying that, you know, the it's also hard to sort of say, well, I as one person am going to, you know, uh, you know, change all of these vast kind of structural, vast and like evolving and responsive kind of structural forces. And I, I think that, you know, I think that the the middle ground, and I, I, just, I think dovetails with what Ben is saying, is that you do the job, you do the kind of specific thing that you are doing. And so in my case, you work with the village that you're working with, with the community that you're working with. Um, but I think that there's still... A, I think when it's done well, when when development work is done well, there is some mindfulness that you know I talked earlier about this metaphor of these two gears that were you know just had different meshes on them and and we're not uh, uh, linking together. Is that you you try to find ways to be that middle gear, right? And and that and 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 then it's not that you're going to kind of change the system instantaneously but i think there's a tendency in a lot of development work to just focus on individual projects right so that if we can't change everything all at once then we're just going to put our heads down and build this one well and just like forget about the rest of it and we're going to do this uh you know we're going to solve these small scale problems in this one place and i think the, the the solution is to try to you know both do what you can do well in a given project, but think about how that interfaces with the various economic and political, um, and in these cases, you know, military, um, you know, uh, forces that are also there. And 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 so it's it's a balance of trying to kind of re- renegotiate um, this kind of you know structure and any one person's um agency but ryan can i can i push back a little and say that that i think that that i think you're open to the to the charge that that, um uh you're open to the charge maybe that you're begging the question um because like the the imperative of the the imperative of scholarship to make positive claims about about the world is non- uh, uh, coextensive with the uh, with the imperative to make the world better, right? Right. Like it, mm, if the world mm. were going to hell, um, I mean that is to say that is to say your your uh, the response that you've articulated presumes um, that you are uh, presumes that you are trying to make the world better. And and isn't there? I mean, isn't there a point of view uh, of of scholarship that is like, well, look, if if the the uh, if the world is going to hell, our job is to take the temperature accurately. I mean, I, I think there is that view. Um, and yes, that is a view that exists of, <laughs> of, of, of scholarship. Um, and I think, I mean, I think that there are much the academy of what the purpose of, um, of, of itself of that of, of itself is um, and whether and and what relationship there is to kind of whether it's kind of you know theory or academic knowledge and and applied or, or practice um, and as someone who kind of researches and teaches at that interface I I, I think it's a, it, it's an interesting question um, because I think there's also a, a second question which is you know, beyond the scope of this discussion, is does kind of trying to, you know, to set out with the intention of making things better, better make it more difficult to 
get the answers right. Right? right. Does they're, it make the science less yeah. pure in some way? They're different. Um, they're different imperatives, right? They're different <laughs> sort of. Uh, they're different sort of things. And I, I mean, I don't know, just to kind of pivot, try to pivot a little bit back to, to a film, like to, you know, to a work of art, right? There, there is the same kind of tension in, there's the same kind of tension in political works of, of art or mm-hmm. works of art mm-hmm. that engage mm-hmm. in, in politics that like, is there a, is there a pure art that is, that is sort of untainted? Um, and I mean, I think you can tell by the terms I'm choosing. I don't think there is, right? Like, uh, is there a pure art that is kind of untainted by politics or untainted by uh, a sort of um, a, a kind of normative claim about power relations in the world? Uh, or and do you become something like agit prop or propaganda or yeah. you know yeah. something like that when you taint uh, or when you mix in, um, you know, I don't know uh, uh, claims about. Uh, uh, claims about the world. I, I and I beyond the scope of this podcast is uh, is the understatement of the year. I mean, these are like um, <laughs> yeah, huge philosophical, huge philosophical things. Can, can I just say it is interesting to hear the way that these the conversation and the topic has to be narrowed down, and I think that that has to do with this movie. I think that the frame of minds frames of mind that Ben and and Ryan and and you Matt all just articulated. Uh, I think they. They point. I'm imagining like the, the imagining like was the the early the early cinema, right? Like when they were still doing flip books and they were still doing like cylinders with horses in them and candles, right? And this, there was just this idea that you could have a bunch of little individual pictures that you would look at and it would create the illusion of being a full movie. Um, when watching this movie, there's a tendency to think that there's a bigger picture, that there's like a bigger story, that that really this is about why. This this guy in Somalia can't get a job, and really it's about the, the naval officers, and really it's about Tom Hanks' life at home with his kids, and it extends past this frontier into all of these different directions. Even on this podcast, we haven't known which direction to extend it in, and maybe the movie being about Captain Phillips' own slice of this experience, you know, or the, this, this, or not just his own subjective experience, but the experience of looking at Captain Phillips go through all this, is... The, a way that the film exists, maybe the still images of as much as an individual person can concern themselves with is really all that exists of this, and the aggregate is an illusion. Maybe it's just – maybe just everybody is just trying to do whatever they can. Mm-hmm. That's, like I mean that, that's piece. interesting, right, because the, the film does – incorporate its own critique right or incorporate a critique of the kind of the centra- the centrality of a particular uh particular narrative in a way that like i think that like uh in a way that like um gives the lie to the kind of fair and balanced sort of discussion of like well there are two sides and i'm thinking now of like uh the clint eastwood diptych of uh like flags of our fathers and whatever the other one called something about iwo jima um, letters from Iwo Jima. Letters from yeah, yeah, letters from Iwo Jima. That it's like that you can somehow be fair, or you can somehow have a kind of totalizing, um, that you can somehow have a, a sort of totalizing picture when you uh, when you. Um, you know, I don't know. Show both sides, right? As though it yeah. were, as though it were uh, an issue uh, of that, right? And yeah. that you can somehow, you can somehow feel better uh, about being Goliath, right? When you when you give the uh, when you give the perspective of uh, David. Uh, speaking of David and Goliath, 
<laughs> uh, I don't know, Ben. We haven't heard you from you in a second. <laughs> Chime in. It's Goliath. Yeah, so, as as so, a representative of Goliath. Right, exactly. So, so, I mean, this, I guess to kind of circle back to how we start off talking about the, how this movie is kind of playing with traditional narrative tropes. I liked how this movie switched the David and Goliath relationship several times. Like at the beginning of the movie, you have the little tiny skiff attacking this massive, you know, football field size ship. And, and the David and Goliath relationship is one way there. But then once they get on board, it switches. And the guys with the AK-47s are the Goliath. And the guys that are using broken glass and, you know, whatever weapons they can find, that's the David. And then it switches yet again when they're in the lifeboat. And now instead of the little ship chasing the big ship, it's the big ship chasing the little ship. Um, and I, I just thought mm-hmm. that was interesting that it's playing with this narrative of, well, we, you always root for the David, right? Well, it's like, well, no, there's this, there's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah. And, uh, and the final, the final Goliath is, is the, you know, uh, stone cheekbones and steely eyed stare of Max Martini, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> is there a it's, law? It's, it's, it's Goliath online. You know, like that's the final Goliath. Is there, that's is another there, Starcraft joke, so I'm bringing it full, full circle. Is there a law yeah. that you can't uh, be in uh, more than one branch of the, the armed services at, at once, right? Because I think, I think Max Martini has broken that law. In fact, even in the special forces community, right? Like Max Martini was a, a member of... Uh, 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 First Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta in the unit, right? <laughs> and now is a now is a Navy SEAL. Um, he's got to yep. be he's got to be what like a recon marine and uh, and uh, something in the Air Force and the Coast Guard, I guess. Yeah. And, he hold, and he holds the rank of super duper bad boy in the Shatter Dome, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I I think we're going to have to. Um, just call time on, on uh, <laughs> no we're not stopping until we solve all of this all right <laughs> all right so okay so we set up a tech company in somalia and we create jobs right uh they'll do an online pet store because that that'll work with sock puppet uh and then you you write the mortgages here's what you do you divide somalia into small pieces and you sanitize those pieces and sell them to large pension funds and you create a you create a collateralized piracy obligation yeah which i mean existed (laughs) i mean like not in our time but like back in the dizzy of like no it it, it actually exists in somalia too but oh it does that's right you buy shares and that's right that's where your ship coming in right and all that stuff yeah but that they were doing that in the movie where they were buying stuff uh buying to get on the ship that's yeah man uh, but uh, do you think there's going to be a bunch of Somali investors who just end up with an enormous amount of Tom Hanks pathos and don't understand where it came from? <laughs> it's like, oh, why is the man from Big crying in my bank account? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back uh, next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It 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 probably doesn't deserve. Poop feast 420, guys.
given your non-duress passwords. How do I know you haven't? <laughs> All right, this whole time. Uh, it's not over. <laughs> oh, okay. Just let me know, Ryan. Let me know, Ryan, as soon as the pirates have left. By giving oh, no, your it's not passwords. over. <laughs> I know. I appreciate that. I've got the, I've got the cavalry on the horn. No, 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 Pete. It's not over. No, I gotcha. I'm not leaving you. You jump, I jump, Jack. You jump, I jump. Come on. I've been with you on the radio this whole time. We've been joking and laughing and being human beings. No, no, it's not. It's not over. It's never over, Ryan. It's always going to. This is. I feel like a friendship has been born here over this radio, over this pirate crisis. That's gonna. You want to get beers when we get back to the states? Uh, you know, we can. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll laugh. It's not over. 